Um, but with that, we are going to continue on in our service. So would you join me in just welcoming up Pastor Annie? Awesome. Hello, hello. Everybody, good morning, church. Good to see you today. Uh, if we have not yet met, my name is Aaron. I have the joy of serving as the pastor of our awesome church. And uh, I'll get a little closer to you. What, no one wanted to sit like right here? Come on. I mean, where's Stacy at? Oh, Stacy usually sits there. She's doing kids today. Um, anytime you have uh, good things happen in a new church, you got to talk about it, right? I mean, you have to every time. So check this out. Uh, City of Eastvale, this past week, Wednesday night, the mayor of the city of Eastvale presented our, our church with a recognition of service to the city. Pretty cool. And I want to thank you for, this is about you, about the impact that you can make on a city in an area. Um, our church, if you're new, was started out of East, Eastvale, out of a coffee shop. Uh, we went to Silver Lakes, outgrew that building. God called us to this building two months ago. Our sign changes in two weeks, just so you all know. Because, uh, uh, so just so you know, we got our permits which is awesome. City of Norco, awesome as well. Uh, applied for the permit to have worship in here, got approved. We paid them, it's about $4,000 to the city to have uh, permits, all that stuff, you know, the, the business and uh, the charade. Um, and, uh, sorry. <laughs> Sedano and I made eye contact. Um, and then, guess what? They go, we're so glad a church is here. Here's your money back. So the city of Norco gave us $4,000 back. And does that ever happen? No. When has a city ever given anything back to you? The check was already cut, okay? It was already there. They're sending it back. Uh, I'll, I'll bring that one day when I get it, okay? I'll show it to you. So kind of cool. But city of Eastvale, really, we have a great mayor in the city of Eastvale. I haven't met the mayor of Norco yet, but we're thankful to be here and be part of the Inland Empire. Um, Again, as uh, Katie and Shimala mentioned, if you're new and if you haven't been at all, uh, after service, 45 minutes, connect with friends in the back in our offices. Uh, there's some food. It's a chance for us to get to know each other a little bit more, our vision, how we got started, and to just make a connection of how to get plugged into this place. Uh, today, we continue our series called All Things New. And this is a series looking at how God wants to renew our lives in the new year. We launched it last week with Vision Sunday. I talked about how God's called us to make disciples. If you weren't here, I encourage you to look at that because that's kind of a foundation for uh, the next year ahead of us. But now over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four rhythms, our church-wide rhythms. Every one of our campuses um, follows these same rhythms of renewal. And it's the rhythm of gathering together, the rhythm of growing to become like Jesus, the rhythm of going to do what Jesus did, and the rhythm of giving our lives away, our time, our treasure, and our talent. And today, we're going to look at the rhythm of gathering on Sunday mornings and in small groups. And I'm going to do a deep dive into why this is important, why we make such a big deal about Sunday morning, why so much staff time goes into this little hour and a half time, why we spend time praying and thinking and preparing uh, months in advance for this single event every single week, why this is important, why small groups are also important. Why do we do this in the first place? And if I were to give you a word that described my Sunday morning experience of church uh, when I was growing up, it would be the, the word irrelevant. Irrelevant. When I was growing up, my parents brought me to church, um, and then at age 13, they said, you can choose if you want to go or not, and I opted out. Stop going, didn't want anything. It was irrelevant to my life. At age 13, I was trying to figure out how to ask a girl out, how to stand up for myself on the playground, how to make the basketball team. 
Nothing seemed relevant to me at church that was in real life what was going on. And so I opted out. I loved the competition on the basketball court. I loved my teammates. And when I came to church, it just didn't speak to me. Um, I don't know what your church experience has been like. Maybe uh, more positive than that, Krista, my wife, grew up in the church, loved her experience. And um, if that's you, you can relate to that. Mine was a different story. Um, That all changed for me at age 20. When I was 20 years old, I got invited to a new church plant in North San Diego. Sorry, Chargers. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my son loves the Chargers. This morning he woke up, first words out of his mouth. Why did they lose, Dad? That was, just, it was like, he was like in despair, you know. Anyway, sorry, back on to talking about Jesus. Okay, so, um, uh, so I went to a, a church plant in North San Diego, and the message was on God, sex, and dating. And I was like, where has this been for the last eight years of my life? And it was relevant to where I was. The speaker was funny. He spoke directly to the issues I was facing. He told me from the Bible and with deep conviction that God could restore and renew my life despite mistakes I'd made. And he convinced me from his own testimony and from other people at the church that Jesus was a better leader of my life than I was. And I decided to keep coming back. And I kept on coming back. And after service on those Sundays, my college friends and I would go to Applebee's and get appetizers. And we would talk about what we just learned and, uh, and apply it to our life and jump back in the car and go do homework. And that was that. Uh, I kept coming back to that church for years and my life was renewed and my life was changed. And it was at that church that God put a, uh, a, a desire in my life to teach the Bible and to be relevant in people's lives, that this would teach to be, be hopeful and relevant into all of our lives and to be a pastor. And so let me ask you a few questions that haunt me and lead me and give me inspiration to continue to walk with God. And here are these four questions I regularly ask myself. Is God still transcendently powerful? Is he still transcendently powerful? Does God the Holy Spirit still have his stuff? Can he still do amazing things? Can Jesus Christ still renew lives? And lastly, is God's word sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce through our own thoughts and justifications of why we do what we do? And if you're like me, and I say yes to those things, then why can't this church be a church that's dynamic and powerful and life-changing in the IE, in our city, in our day, and renew people's lives? And I believe it can. And I believe it is. Christmas services were awesome. 255 people here. It was amazing. And we got to experience that together. Thank you for inviting friends and family to join us for that. We're seeing God do incredible things. But today, if you've never thought about the power and dynamic of how a local church that believes those four things and how it can change lives, if you've never thought deeply about it, today we're going to think about it together. About why the gathering is important, why our small groups are important, and our passage that we'll look at today, the author uses three exhortations to help us get a map of why our gatherings are important. And the three exhortations are these. Let us draw near to God. I don't know if I have a slide for that. Let us hold unswervingly to hope and let us spur one another on to love. I want you to pay attention to these three exhortations because they are going to give a picture for us of what the, uh, the, the gatherings are supposed to be about. And that picture is painted for us more, more deeply and more clearly for us in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Every Bible is going to wait for a moment to you, for you to get there. 
Um, and I encourage you to, to bring your Bibles to church. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, you can just, this is the only time I give you permission to steal from church, okay? But you can take a Bible in the back. And if you do need one today, just raise your hand. Uh, Austin will grab you one. Um, but it will always come on the screen. And let me just kind of explain why the screen is inferior to the real thing for just a moment. Can I do that? Because this is confusing. This is so confusing. It's one of the most confusing books ever written, but the most transformational book. And we at church want to always take away the confusion to bring clarity. And I believe that analog kind of helps you know a little bit. You feel it. You see it. You kind of see the context. You know what I mean? So I encourage you to, to bring your Bibles. If you have one, if you don't have one, it's okay. Right? It's on the screen. That's what it's there for. So Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. It's kind of the back of the book. Um, we don't read that often. And I will begin to read in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters... So it's not speaking to an individual, speaking to all of us. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, speaking of water baptism there. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur each other on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of the day approaching. So number one, Sundays are for uh, small groups, or small groups at our gatherings are for us to draw near to God. The first let us exhortation is let us draw near to God, verse 22, uh, with sincere faith and with full assurance of faith. Now notice with me, it doesn't say that we come to church just to learn bits and pieces of dry information about God that are disconnected from our life. It says, draw near to God. And by that, it means that God wants us to encounter him. When it says, draw near to God, what the author is trying to get at is that our gatherings together are for us to encounter the living, breathing God. Now, I um, love the outdoors. I think you know that. Um, and my family and I went to the Grand Tetons a couple years ago. And Chris and I and the kids were hiking uh, around Jackson Hole. And we stepped onto a trail and two hikers um, came walking fast off the trail, and they said to us, there's a grizzly bear right around the corner. Now, being the dummy that I am, I look and I go, let's go see. <laughs> let's go. It's right around the bend. Come on, children. Seven, remember this? Seven and five. She kind of held the children next to her, you know? And um, we went. We didn't see the grizzly that day, um, but it was thrilling to think about a possibility of us seeing a grizzly bear in its natural habitat. There was adventure. It was wild. And on Sundays when we gather together, we are not here to see a grizzly bear. Something better has come. It's God Almighty. We're here to encounter God. We come together to encounter God. And he's just around the corner. Go look. Encounter him yourself. He's here for us. Now, the original hearers of this, and especially if you were Jewish in the Old Testament, and if you were to hear the phrase, draw near to God, they would have been much more cautious than I was with the bear. Because Jewish people um, were not allowed to go into God's presence. 
You see, they needed someone to, to kind of stand between them and God, a priest. And the, holy, uh, the high priest in, in the Old Testament would go into God's presence, the holy of holies in the tabernacle, in, in the temple, um, one time a year. It was very solemn. There was a lot of trepidation. And you can read more about that in the Old Testament, but it was really intense for that person when they went inside. And so if, a, if an Old Testament person would have heard the phrase, draw near to God, they would have kind of scratched their head. They would have wondered, what is going on? You know, like, why would I actually do that? Um, but we are invited for us to go to God's presence. We're invited to him. Draw near. Um, and it gets better in verse 19. Look down with me. It says this. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, draw near. That word confidence is a strange word in the Greek. We're actually not strange. It's not used that often. It's used very rarely. And the word confidence means to express yourself freely. Because God has invited us to draw near to him because of Jesus, we can now come to God and express ourselves freely to him. Unlike how the Old Testament people had to go to God through a, through a priest, through an intermarry. They had to get to him through somebody else. Now we can encounter God directly because of Jesus. Um, this word confidence, when I think about it, I think of dancing. I'm a horrible dancer. You, you probably know that already, like just looking at me. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like you know that. So I only dance at a wedding when it's Michael Bublé and it's Frank Sinatra. And I go to Chris and I say, hey, let's go dance. But when Uptown Funk comes... <laughs> When Bruno Mars, right, Ron, I mean, I'm, I'm getting wedding cake, you know, um, and, and that's, I'm just not confident on the dance floor. This passage invites us to God's presence with confidence, to come to God with confidence. Now, over 14 years of pastoral ministry, one of the things that I have found in people's lives is that they are intimidated to pray out loud. Maybe that's you. Maybe you get into a group of people and someone says, you know, hey, Al, can you pray? And, and Al, you pray perfectly fine. Just want you to know. Um, but maybe you get in a group of people. I shouldn't do that. And, and you go, I don't want to speak out loud. I don't want to pray out loud. I'm worried about what I'm going to say. I'm worried I might mess it up. I'm worried that God may think that I'm not going to say it correctly. Anybody relate to that? It's a common thing that I find in people's lives as a pastor. And our passage invites us to freely express yourself to God. Draw near Express yourself to him. Pour out your praise. Pour out your worries. Pour out your fears. Pour out your temptations. You can even dance before God. Maybe not to Uptown Funk, but you can dance before God, right? Sometimes in my time with God, I just raise a hand and I just start praising God on my own. Krista hears me and she's like, what's going on over there? I'm just having a time of freely expressing myself to Almighty God because we get a chance to encounter him. There are days when I don't feel confident to come to him because of my sin. There are days when I feel unworthy to come to God because of what I know about my own heart. And that's why this passage is such good news. Because you're invited to come. Now how come? The passage tells us because Jesus is our high priest. We have a great high priest over the house of God by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, and a new and living way has been opened to us. You see, our sin hindered us from getting to God. That's what the Old Testament people knew. They knew that their sin was wrong and God was holy and they couldn't approach God. Now we have a great high priest in Jesus who we can approach God confidently, freely, encountering him together. The priest, again, is a mediator between people and God. And Jesus is the only priest that you need to encounter him. You don't need anybody else. You don't need me. 
You just need Jesus. And the invitation is to go and encounter him. And we, on Sunday mornings, we get to encounter him together and in groups. That's the beauty of it. Uh, a, a, a soldier fighting in battle, in civil war, uh, lost his father and his brother. And he needed to go back to his mom and his sister to care for them and watch over the farm. And the only person that could let him off fighting was President Lincoln. And so he went to the White House, walked right up to the, the doors back in the old day. They didn't have all the gates and security. But an official stopped him at the White House and said, you can't go see the president. He's too busy for you. Get back on the field and fight like you're supposed to as a soldier. So that soldier went out and he sat on a bench at a park trying to figure out what to do. How do I get a hold of Lincoln? Lincoln's the only one that can give me an exemption from fighting. And a little boy walked up to him and said, what's wrong? And the, and the soldier said, hey, I, I, I need to go to my family and see them. And, and President Lincoln's the only one that will help me. And the boy took the soldier's hand and said, come, follow me. The boy led the soldier around the White House, in the back, through the doors, past the generals, past the guards, past the high-ranking officials, walked right into the Oval Office, where President Lincoln was studying battle plans with the Secretary of State behind his desk. And Lincoln looked up and said, what can I do for you? And the boy said, Dad, the soldier needs to speak to you. You see, just like that boy took that soldier's hand, and led him to President Lincoln. If you have Jesus, he takes you by the hand, and he takes you to the Father, so that you can encounter him. And the best news is, he's thankful that you arrived. He's glad that you showed up. And I just want to echo that and say how thankful that I am that you've all arrived here. I'm thankful that you're all here. And when we're thankful that we're all each together, it's a reminder that God is excited that you're all here and that you're, you come before him and he's excited to see you. So Sundays and our groups are here for us to encounter Almighty together. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Our second let us is a statement. Let us hold unswervingly to hope the word hope or hold on means not, not to let go. Don't let go. Don't let go of hope unswervingly. When's the last time you used that word, right? I mean, what, it means to not bend or to break. Hold on to hope. Don't bend or break. The author of Hebrews doesn't want us to lose hope. He wants us to hold tightly. If you notice in verse 23, to what? To the promises of God. We're to hold on to a God of promise, a God who keeps his promise, which tells us, that in this life, we're going to go through experiences where we're going to be tempted to want to let go. Maybe you're going through one right now. Maybe something's happening in your life, a trial, a disappointment, a toxic relationship, a repeated habit, a shame from your past that you just keeps on bugging you, and you're tempted to let go of hope of a God of promise. You know, I, um, maybe you just got out of a toxic relationship, and you dedicate yourself to a year of being healthy and walking with God, maybe going to a counselor, going to a church for a year, and you say, okay, after a year, I will know the patterns that get me off track, and I'll make sure to have a healthy relationship and meet the right person. So you take a whole year, and a year passes. I've seen this as a college pastor multiple times. And then you get into an, a relationship, and all of a sudden, um, that relationship begins to go back to toxic patterns. And you're tempted just to give up on a God of promise. A God of promise who cares for us and who promised to, to take care of us. 
The author of Hebrews says to not let go of hope. And our gatherings and our small groups and our gatherings and our communities like this are intended to encourage us that the God of promise, we need to hold on to him. We need to hold on to God. For anyone who rides a horse, um, you know the phrase giddy up. I think that's cowboy translation of the Bible for hold on tight. Um, some of you know that I grew up on a horse ranch in the Santa Barbara area, and my brother, age nine, and I were riding in a horse ring. And we had just gotten horses. This was when they gave us horses. I guess that's when you give horses to kids, is nine and, nine and six, I don't know. Maybe not the best idea um, in what light of what happened. Uh, it was a new horse. It just got broken, uh, broken. And I don't know what my brother did, but he was riding it, and the horse took off at full gallop. I don't know how many miles an hour it was doing, but it was going hard. And I can still picture it in my, in my mind. I can hear my parents screaming, watching my brother on a horse, full gallop. And he's holding tight, and he's holding on to the reins, and everyone's waiting for him to fall off. And he come, the horse comes around. The trainer stopped the horse. My brother gets off unharmed, all because he held on tight. And I think that most likely in a room like this, there are situations where you feel like something's galloping away from God, and you're tempted to, at the rain? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine if we were at the other building? <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you for a rough Jesus. Thank you. So good. Right? God wants us to hold on to hope, like my brother. Hold on to God, to a God of promise. In 2005, you may know the story, a man named Kevin Bertha went through so many trials that he lost hope. And he wanted to end his life. His daughter had a medical situation and uh, he uh, wanted to, uh, and, and there was like hundreds of thousands of, of medical bills and he wanted to commit suicide. And so he went to the Golden State Bridge to jump off to end his life. And while he was standing on the Golden Gate Bridge uh, ready to jump, a officer, Kevin Briggs, pulled over and he just empathized with the man. He spoke to him. He encouraged him. You see, Kevin, the officer, had also been through some hopeless days. He had had cancer at some point in his life. And he wanted to end his, you know, see the end of his life, um, uh, see this man who wanted to end his life continue on like he had through cancer. And so he empathized with the man. He said, give, give life a chance. Give hope a chance. The man got off the bridge and saved him. And eight years later, the, uh, the man uh, giving the award in the middle here, shaking the man on the far left, is the officer. Uh, Kevin is doing much better today. And that officer gave hope to that man on the bridge. I encourage you to Google Kevin Bertha. The, the picture of him on the Golden Gate Bridge is too traumatic to look at in church. But I encourage you to look at that picture and then look at this picture today and see the hope that the officer brought this man who wanted to end his life. See, we empathize with people in small groups. We tell them, keep going. God's got you. He's with you. Hold on tight. Keep walking with God. Hold on swervingly to hope. I buried a man yesterday. Uh, Daryl Gehring, 70 years old. I had a relationship with his family for 12 years. Amazing family. Pastored two of his sons. His wife was a volunteer of mine in a ministry that I led. And he died of melanoma cancer uh, a few months ago. And I found out that when he got uh, diagnosed with cancer in June, it was fast, stage four, that every day he'd wake up and he would pray to Jesus this prayer. He'd say, Jesus is the name above all names. And Jesus is above cancer. Jesus is king. 
and I am a follower of Jesus. That's holding on to hope. And when we gather together in these kind of settings, in these kind of groups, we empathize with people like that officer, we encourage people to hold on to a, a God of promise, and we hold on tight as we feel like we're galloping and wanting to let go. Verse 24 is our last let us. Let us spur one another on to love. It says this, And let us consider how we may spur each other on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the church gathers for relationship. We gather for relationship, and specifically to spur each other on to love. Now, honestly, I don't want to gather unless it's about building relationship. We want to build things around relationship. We don't go to church just simply to hear a message. I know that a message is a core part of our Sunday morning experience. But let me just say a few facts, okay? This is not a rebuke. This is just a fact. That sometimes we just go to church to be encouraged by somebody else we're sitting next to. Sometimes we just go to church because we went through something and now somebody else is going through that. And by some divine appointment, we need to encourage them as well. Sometimes we also just go to church for donuts and coffee. <laughs> Literally, to talk to somebody. It's about relationship. So friends, if you only go to church for a message and you only evaluate its utility and practicality in your life based on how a sermon was good or not good, can I just say that you, you're missing it? It's more than this message. We're not building this church off my mediocre preaching. You know what we're building it off of? Community. That spurs each other on to love. We're building off those four questions. Can God still change lives? Is Jesus transcendent? Is the Bible still true? Like, this is just a part of it. This is to spur us on to love. Church is ultimately about a community that loves one another. If we come on Sundays and we don't break the barrier down, we miss out on all that God has for us. I know we're in rows, but we see success happening in circles at our church. You need a few people in your life who you can lean on. You need a few people who will say, what's going on? How can I pray for you? How's your hope? You need a few people that you can ask, what's God doing in your life? You need a few people you can trust, you can call to pray with. We all do. Um, just to kind of show you how important this is, 1 Corinthians 13 is a famous love passage, and this is not necessarily always about marriage. And, you know, every wedding, it, this is quoted, right? This is actually talking about the local church. And here's what it says in light of the local church. If I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, these three, hope, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The local church is to be known for our love. The local church is to be known for loving God and for loving each other. And we're to spur each other on to love. That's another horse thing, right? A spur? A spur creates movement, right? When you ride a horse, that was bad, that spur. Like, <laughs> like, I haven't ridden in like 30 years, just so you know. Um, so right, it creates movement. It pushes forward. And you can be a spur in a negative way or you can be a spur in a positive way. But the truth of the passage is, you're a spur. I'm a spur. You're a spur to push people to love and to good deeds and to encourage them. And that's what we're to do as a church. 
And I believe that we are. In fact, I just want to affirm you how much I see this in you already. I love you as a congregation. I love what God's doing. I love seeing the guys for security today just powing up and talking and praying. I love the teams meeting. I love the kids' ministry. Thank you for being a church that spurs each other on. I received a text message from someone this past week saying, how can I pray for you? That spurred me on to love people. I got a phone call from old friends saying how grateful they are for what they see about what God's doing in this church. That spurred me on. Getting the award spurred me on, right, for our church. Like, yes, God is doing something. We are to spur each other on in our groups and on Sunday morning. Now, where does all this break down? Where does it all break down? It's in our passage. Verse 24 again. Let us consider how we may spur each other on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as is the habit of some. You're all here today. You made the right decision. You made a great decision. You arrived in the middle of rain, pouring rain, like, and with a building with not even our name on it. Like, thank you. You made a great decision. That all changes, and that's all. It's going to become a challenge next week, right? Next week is the challenge. Keep showing up. It's next week that's going to be the hard moment. Next Saturday night, as you think about your Sunday. Next Sunday morning, that's a challenge. It's the next week. You know, apparently this church in the book of Hebrews struggled. The people struggled to make it to church. And that's what I love about the Bible. You think, oh, I can't relate to the Bible. There's nothing I can relate to. And then you go, oh, they struggled to make it to church? Like, yeah, just like us, right? They struggled to make it to church. We don't know all the reasons why, but we know a couple. This church that is being written, this letter, um, there was some very light persecution happening. And they didn't want to go through any hardships. So they stayed home and they didn't want to gather together. We also know that they believed that Jesus was going to return quickly, and they thought to themselves, well, because Jesus is coming back, it's not a priority to him, so I'll just stay in my house, hunker down, and wait for him to return. Their baseline thinking was this, it's uncomfortable because of persecution, so I won't go. Now, I'll just let you know, you're like, oh, persecution's pretty hard, Aaron. It is. It got a lot worse 100 years later. That's when they were being thrown to gladiators. That's when the Roman Empire came a lot harder down on them. Um, it's also not a priority to God. He's coming back, so he doesn't care. I'm going to stay home. They stopped gathering because it was easier to stay home and because of faulty thinking about God. And aren't we the same, right? Like, oh, my kids are tired. Oh, it's raining today. Like, those same things come into our life as well. And the author of Hebrews encourages us to not let a pattern, a habit, develop of gathering together for fellowship and teaching and worship of God. I said it. Okay. I love you. Because <laughs> I know this is convicting. But maybe no one's ever said it to you. Now, let me say, I don't think that's true of most of us here. Um, but it's the guarding against the habit, the pattern of gathering together with Christians for worship. The author Hebrew, Hebrews wants to guard us from that, but so does Jesus. You see, here's what Jesus knows. He knows that when we start a habit of missing worship and fellowship and teaching together, we lose our grip on hope. And he knows that when we neglect those things, we stop encountering the grisly God, right? This incredible almighty God that we now have access to go freely express ourselves to. So the timeless truth this morning is this. I want you to notice Three things in our passage. Verse 19, let us, let us draw near to God with full assurance of faith. Let us hold tight to hope and let us spur one another on to love. You notice anything? Faith, hope, 
and love. The timeless truth today about why we gather and why Sundays are important, why we put so much time into this and why we do small groups is because of this. Um, Sundays set in motion a spirit-filled community of faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Sunday mornings, it sets in motion something. People who live in faith, different. People who have hope in a world that is so hopeless. I just stopped reading the news. I just stopped. So hopeless. I want to, people who live with love, our world's so divided. This community is not that. This Sunday morning in our small groups, it spurs us on. It starts something new so that we can live by faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So my son um, played in his second game of basketball yesterday morning of his second season in his life, okay? And um, on Saturday night or Friday night when we were um, debriefing the day, I said to Cole, Cole, I just want you to take a shot. Just take one shot. And Cole is, um, you know, he's a little bit scared on the court. His tendency is to pass the ball. And he said to me, you know, Dad, I don't know if I should. It's not practice. I might miss it. And I said, no, I just want you to shoot the ball. Just take a shot wherever you are on the court, just whatever. I want you to get in the habit of just taking a shot. So Cole says, okay, all right. So the game starts, and it's eight-year-old boys. So just picture how crazy that is, okay? And the ball comes to Cole, and like, like nine boys converge all on Cole. Like that's kind of how they play, right? And I can see in his eyes he wants to pass the ball. And he's just like, oh, what am I going to do? And I am like, oh, no, this is a moment. And he's in a place where he can shoot. He's at the free throw line. So I just start yelling, shoot the ball, Cole. Shoot the ball. Take a shot, Cole. Shoot. Shoot. Take it, Cole. It's your shot. Shoot it. Shoot it, Cole. Just like that. Probably louder, actually. And Cole hears me. And he kind of, I think he sees me in the corner of his eye. And he, he goes like this. Right? It was awesome. Do you think the ball went in? No. No. It didn't hit the rim. It didn't even hit the backboard. Don't talk to my son about this, by the way. Okay? If you see him, be like, great shot yesterday. Just do that. Can we all do that for Cole? So here, here's why this was a big deal. Cole has taken one shot. One shot in two years of basketball. He's so afraid of failing. He's so afraid of missing. He's so afraid of what's going to happen if he misses. Friends, church, take a shot. Take a shot. Some of us are here for the first time. First time in a church building. Like, I don't know. I don't know. If I show up, I don't know what's going to happen. Just take a shot. You think, I don't know if I can pray out loud. Just, Just take a shot. Like, it may not hit the rim. Like, just take a shot. After he took the shot, you know how he played? His confidence went way up. Like he slid on the, on the ground for the ball. He fouled a kid really hard. I was like, yeah, <laughs> confidence. His confidence shot up. Why? He took a shot that didn't even make it. Imagine what happens when the ball goes in the rim. Friends, take a shot. Don't you want to take a shot at church? Don't you want to take a shot that a community of faith, hope, and love could actually renew your life? People out there, people, don't you want to take a shot? Take a shot. And then imagine what happens when all of a sudden, out of the grace of God, something just incredible happens. Lives are changed. The ball goes in. I just want to encourage you in our first week, the rhythm of gathering, 
step in. Life groups start January 26th. We believe there's a group for everybody. And then lastly, I think hopefully, um, I don't know if we got cards out to everybody today, Katie. I'm not too sure the little, little card. Awesome. They all got them? You all got a little card? Okay. Never mind. We'll do it next week. Um, there's a card that we're going to give out as part of our vision series. And, um, and on that card is just a commitment. And we're wanting people to move towards action, move towards commitment. These four weeks of our vision series, we want to move towards something. And what I ask you to do is this. Can I ask you to come to church the next three weeks in a row? Like, that's it. Three weeks in a row, come to church. You think, okay, okay, I got to cancel some plans. Okay, cool, whatever, right? Um, and then would you consider being in a life group in three weeks from now? Those are the two asks this week. Would you consider coming for three weeks straight? Next week, we're talking about how do you grow spiritually? How do we get something out of this when you read it? That's what we're going to talk about next week. Two weeks, we're going to talk about how do you make an impact out in the community? How do we make an impact? It's going to be awesome. My ask this week is, would you consider coming the next three weeks in a row? And then would you consider being in a group in the new year? Um, so the average person goes to church 1.3 times a month. But you're not average. You're not average. And we're not planning a church that's average. We're planning a church that's excellent, that's about faith, hope, and love. Verse 25 tells us how long we're supposed to do this. Until you see the day approaching. Until you see the day approaching. We are to draw near to God. We are to have hope. We are to spurge on onto love until Jesus returns. And when he does, we will see Almighty God as he is. We will encounter God like that grizzly bear as he is. It's going to be amazing. But until that day, we're to do those three things together. And so let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Today is a communion Sunday. And uh, Jesus gave us something for us to do when we gather together, which is to remember his life and his death and his resurrection. And so the band's going to come up um, and they're going to uh, play a song. But what I want to do is lead us in a time of communion. You notice that there are four different tables around. And I want to ask the prayer leaders, if you're um, someone who's going to pray, if you would stand up for a moment and go to a table. Krista over there. Austin, Austin in the back. Peter and Bonnie, if you want to go to the back one over there, that'd be great. And then Katie, if you want to come up here, that'd be awesome. And what we're going to do is this. We want to get a little movement. Because again, we want to represent that it's not just about uh, you know, lines. We want to be in, in circles as well. And so um, I'm going to close this in prayer. I want to invite you to go to one of the tables. There's one in the back here, one here, one here, one here. And we're going to take communion together uh, as a community. I'm going to lead us through it corporately, but we're going to take it kind of in a smaller setting today. And this might be a first for you. Um, it might be something you've never done before. But we believe that as you gather around the table, as you look at each other in the faces, it's a reminder that the church that we gather together isn't just about what happens up here. It's about love, it's about relationship, it's about what Jesus has done for each one of us. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance for us to celebrate communion, to celebrate what you've done on the cross for us. I thank you, Jesus, for giving us the access that we so desire with you. You've invited us to come confidently and freely. You've invited us, God, to join you. We have access to you. So I just get a sense as I teach today that by the look in people's faces and by the responses that maybe there is something that you're tempted to let go of hope about. Lord, I want to ask you to meet them. 
I want to encourage you to hold on to the God of promise. Don't give up hope. Maybe someone here today hasn't encountered God in a long time. It's been dry. You're not alone. There are others, seasons just like that. I'm so glad that you've come in faith. And maybe today you come and you're a little bit alone. And I just want to encourage you. This is a community that wants to spur each other on to love. We're glad that you came. So Jesus, thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me and please go to one of the tables around.